Whether you're looking for a convenient refresher course, or a way to earn your Pragmatic certification at your own speed, or the chance to take a Pragmatic course from your specific corner of the world, then Foundations On Demand is the solution you need. Get the same great content, tools, and templates our Foundations course is famous for in a flexible and easy-to-use online learning platform. Learn the skills you need to build and market products people want to buy. And earn your Pragmatic Institute certification anywhere, anytime. No more travel worries, no more time zone issues, just truly great training. Experience the new way of training with Foundations On Demand from Pragmatic Institute. Visit pragmaticinstitute.com foundations to learn more. Welcome to the Pragmatic Product Chat series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing and Product Strategy at Pragmatic Institute, and your host for this episode. Today, I am extremely excited to have on Corbin Wells. He is the Director of Product Management at Primary Residential Mortgage, and he is going to talk to us about today. It's really the most important thing you can do as a product leader for your team today. What's the most important thing you can do, and I think one of the great things about the way he talks about it is sort of the, the real-world experience of the time he spent here, as well as opportunities for those of us who maybe aren't product leaders or who don't necessarily have a really strong product leader where they can also use these techniques to better their products, better their company, and better their career. So welcome, Corbin. Welcome, Corbin. Great. Thank you for having me. I look forward to this. Excellent. All right. We're, uh, I know they have lots of things that we're going to talk about today, but one place I think we're going to really focus in on is sort of allocating resources and understanding kind of the different roles within an organization. But before we dive in, can you just give everybody a little bit about Corbin and a little bit about your organization and kind of what makes you so passionate about products? Sure. So I've been involved in product management for about 30 years, but only about the past seven or eight of those has been with official training. But prior to this job, I've been a business owner or product leader for other companies for the 20 years prior to this company. And I love it because it's all about solutions. There's so many opportunities in the world right now. We have so many unadopted or lesser adopted technologies that we can make better and we can really make the world a better place in so many areas. There's never been a time like today to make a difference in the world. The current organization I'm with is Primary Residential Mortgage, and we are a lender, a mortgage lender. We've been in business for about 24, 25 years, and we're a top 30 lender. We're probably not a name that you've heard before, but that's because uh, most of our branches, we've got over 250 branches all over the United States, and they operate in their own individual markets, and many of them under their own DBAs, their own names. But my product team consists of, there's only 13 of us, but we have four product verticals. Each of those product verticals, or each of those business verticals has a very different tech stack. And so we literally have documented over 200 different pieces of technology that impact our company 
And the main ones that my team manage are about 20 different systems, but we have to deal with all 200 of them. But those main 20 tech systems, those are the ones that my team is focused on making better, more efficient, and helping our employees of our company, which is about 2,500 employees, make their jobs easier and faster. Ah, love it. I think one of the things you, you kind of touched on there is just the the complexity of your organization. And I think that's something that product managers from from all walks of life can really relate to, right? And I think it's one of the reasons that you've spent so much time and what we're going to talk about today is you really thinking about the definition of roles and handoffs and and sort of processes to some extent within your organization. And so I know as someone like myself who's been in the product space for a long time, it's definitely it's a place we see evolve. So we see evolve as an industry. And I think your organization have seen sort of the state of product management evolve and grow. So let's talk a little bit about sort of what it was like when you first started at primary mortgage, and then sort of the drivers for some of the processes and systems that you've put in place. Sure. So when I came here, our entire business technology department consisted of four people. A total of four people. That's developers, admins, everything. And so we're now a team of closer to 50 people, onshore and offshore resources. And as we have grown, the need to build things right was the main impetus for our executives prioritizing the need to hire some product people and making those product people effective. We, again, with so many pieces of technology that we could dive into, there was a lot of prioritization of which ones we would dive into. There was a lot of discussion about, okay, we've got a few people here. Do we want three people on this system or do we only want one person on this system and other people on these other systems? Where are we going to get the most bang for our buck? And so over the past eight or nine years, we have matured a lot and it has definitely, we have grown way faster and been way more productive as we have implemented these standards, which started with the separation between a product owner does these jobs and a product manager does these jobs. That, that Those first definitions were where we really started to see some lift and getting our product team much more effective. So to recap, and from things that we've talked about, right? So there was some confusion on who does what, right? And so everybody yeah. was working really, really hard, but not necessarily getting the results that you really wanted them to do. I think you had a term about where it was do lots of noise and dust but not necessarily moving the ball forward, right? That's right. And so I think that role of product manager versus product owner is one that lots of organizations can struggle with. Talk a little bit about when you define them, what did you focus on? Was it just, hey, here's the activities that one does, or how did you structure that conversation about product management versus product owner? Well, we went at it through two different angles. One was we wanted to categorize and group the responsibilities that all kind of took the same thinking process together. And then we also, so for instance, uh, the, the example we use is an architect versus an engineer. If mm. you're building a house, the homeowner doesn't go and meet with the engineer and start discussing how many pieces of rebar need to be in the footings and foundation. That customer starts with the architect and they talk about the look and feel, how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms, how, you know, that type of stuff with the architect. So, and the architect versus an engineer, those are two very different people. Mm. An architect is really about the form and the function and how it, how beautiful it is and how you feel when you walk in the space. Whereas an engineer, 
they don't they don't care anything about that. They are about we need to make sure that this building is going to stay standing in a magnitude seven earthquake or in a category three hurricane or you know whatever. They've got their definitions that they have to meet. And so that's one approach. As we said, we want people who have that engineer type of brain. Those are our product owners. Those are the specifications. Those are the people who are going to get down in the down in the weeds and define all of the tiny little itty bitty things so that our development team can be effective. And then the the architect would be our product manager, and they are the ones who are meeting with the stakeholders, meeting with the business, meeting with the customers, and defining what are the next features and functionality that would provide them the most lift. And that's a very different mindset. That's one approach. And then the other approach is we did want to have a hierarchical type of support structure where someone could come in off the street and begin providing lift, even if they don't have product ownership or product management experience. Hmm. And so we've catered that product owner role to be the farm league. This is the the team where you hope to grow and mature your team so that they can become those next leaders in your product management team. And so with those two aspects, one is the maturity or the experience level, and the other is the mindset and what type of questions are you good at asking and, and documenting. Well, I think one of the things that you, you've, as we've talked about this before, that you've done really nice is that it's not just, okay, you are in a product manager or you are a product owner, but there is development path. And like you just talked about, it's a development path potentially from a product owner to a product manager, but there's also development path in both of those. Right. It is understanding that at different seniority levels and sometimes just different experience levels, you'll have a different set of skill sets. And maybe there are things that will get stronger over time. But really laying that out within each role as as well as across of those, I think, was was a really important piece of what your team did. Yeah, we definitely did that. So because when you have somebody coming on to a product team, they hear <laughs> it's it's out there. Oh, you know, product people, they earn six figures, they own, you know, pretty. <laughs> strong salaries. And you got somebody coming on board who has never made that kind of money. And they've shown promise, they've shown capabilities, but they've never delivered or actually provided that type of value to an organization before. And so by giving them concrete things, once you are able to do this and this and this, then we can revisit your pay and we can revisit your title. And we've got three levels of that in our product ownership world. We've got PO123, and then we've got product management and senior product managers. And then we, you know, the director of product managers myself. So we do have a career path that leads people uh, with KPIs that they can be held accountable to. And when they are meeting those KPIs concerning the skills that we expect out of them and the output, both the quantitative and the qualitative output, we measure all those things and we provide that structure so that then they can wholeheartedly engage in what we need them to and what we want them to and they can grow, they can. They have a career path that leads all the way to the top. And the only thing that would stop them would be their own desire or abilities. It's not a subjective decision on my part. A lot of objectivity is built into that career path. Which I think is is different than a lot of times, right? You get a bunch of bullets for the different piece, but it's like, well, am I, am I advanced at it or am I an expert at it? That feels very sort of nebulous. But when you're really talking KPIs and metrics, it makes that definition really clear. Can you give us just some of the examples maybe that are KPIs that you have for your product managers and then some that you have for your product owners? Sure. So the, the most important one is validating the value of what we have launched. So if I have a product manager or product owner, and this applies to both of them, where they're launching features or epics that we, after we launch, we go back a month or two later and we're 
evaluating, is it providing the value that we expected? Is it getting the adoption that we expected? If we're hitting those targets that we set before we actually started building this new enhancement, then that is a big win. That means that we prioritized it properly based on an accurate understanding of what the value would be. And now we launched it and we're getting that value. So that is the biggest one. And we're looking for our junior product owners. We're looking for 40 to 50% winning on that. 40 to 50% of the time, they are meeting those validation standards that they defined in conjunction with the stakeholders prior to the Epic or feature even being prioritized Mm -hmm. and then uh, developed. Another big one that we have is we do an NPS survey once a quarter on our, I should say, I do the NPS survey once a quarter for all these folks on on my team. And what I do is I reach out to the stakeholders that they work with. I reach out to the executives or the other business leaders that they've worked with in that quarter. And I just ask them, hey, on a scale of one to 10, how likely are you to want to work with this person again? Or how likely would you recommend working with this product owner or product manager on the next issue that you guys have that you want to work on? And we're looking for a high NPS score out of that because we empower our product people to not be the decision makers. They are the transparent conduit of communication. And so there shouldn't be any animosity between executives say this, we got to do this. And product's like, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> that should never occur. And so we, we're shooting for high scores on that NPS survey. And we, we survey also our uh, delivery teams, our developers, admins. How much do you enjoy working with this particular product person? So those are two of the big ones. We also count the number of initial fundamental VOC type of conversations. Every Mm. month, we're all expected to have those fundamental, hey, how are you doing? What is it like using this piece of software? What ideas do you have? What do you like? What do you not like? Those type of just really blank sheet of paper type of fundamental conversations. We we have a, a target to hit those every month. And then we also have the actual scoring of our documentation efforts. And we can talk about that as well. We have standards. We have templates. We expect people to start with that. And then when they submit their documentation for peer review, is it being passed or accepted on that first pass? Or is it the second pass? And and if it's not on the second pass, they must be a a junior PO or something because we're pretty explicit on on the corrective action we need on the documentation standards. I think what's really neat, first of all, I can tell you there's probably a lot of people who wish there had started at an organization with this kind of structure in place. Too many of us have had to, you know, uh, take our machetes out into the wilderness and try to make it make sense. But I also think it's a it's a great combination of metrics that you're talking about, right? There are things that as a product person, you set yourself in the definition of the product and kind of getting that project approved. It's how are you working with your internal teammates? Because that's such an important part of product management. And it's how are you communicating, right? And, and standards and documentation. There's just such pillars of what it is. And it's such a balanced look too at what makes a successful product management it's the results and all the pieces along the way. Yeah, it is good. And one other I forgot was uh, we also expect our PMs and POs to have a groomed backlog of mm-hmm. a certain number of sprints. And the more mature they are, the more that backlog should be up to, you know, up to five sprints worth of work should be groomed and ready to go. So yeah, all those things we do, we focus on the quantitative, are you doing your job? And then the qualitative, how well are you doing it? And so it's important. And even that, that's pretty specific. That's pretty objective. We get data points from lots of different sources. It's not just one person. Mm-hmm. But even then, there is still that gut check. Do I really feel like this product person 
is ready to change from an engineer to an architect? Are they ready to change from a detail-oriented specification person to a strategy role, which is just a totally different person? And, and some people make that change and other people, that's not a good move for them. Um, and I think that can be okay. Right. I mean, yeah. I think sometimes we, we think everybody's path must be the same. It must, it must go to people management or it must go to product manager. But sometimes you're just an outstanding engineer. That's right. And yeah. that is a, a good place to be as well. Yeah, we have quite a lot of runway for people to earn a lot of money in that product owner role. Because like you said, people who are great at it, we want to reward them well. Yes. All right. So you have uh, clear definitions of product management versus product owner. So talking about sort of like what outputs are required of from them, how you expect, what kind of communication comes from them, what kind of external responsibilities, like a whole, a nice place. But within each of those roles, you also have tiers, tiers with metrics that tell you sort of what tier you're on. I am going to guess that you did not go up to the mountain one day and come back with these definitions all by yourself and be like, these are the definitions. (laughs) (laughs) I imagine there was a process involved. There was a process and it was a collaborative process. We had good conversations with the whole team around this and everybody was able to agree that, no, it's not right to expect just because you hit the metrics for a couple months that instantly you're going to be promoted. It doesn't work that way. You need to hit those standards and maintain those standards for a period of time. And some of the more advanced roles, we want them to maintain those standards for a year. Others maintain those higher standards for six months, things like that. But yeah, we collaboratively went through it. So it was, we started collaboratively with our product team and then we took it to our CEO and CIO and got their participation and their approval. So yeah, it was definitely a collaborative effort. and It took the better part of a year to get those roles, responsibilities, and career paths ironed out. Um, but I would think that that participation, the iterations, and the buy would, would just help so much in terms of buy-in, right? Yeah. And when it's on answer release too, it's not like we're, you know, they've already, they've got their input. They've also started to kind of go through the, the change curve as you've been talking about it and you're leading in those conversations, you're bringing them along and they start to see some of the advantages and places. And I, I think that can really help with adoption. Yeah. Well, that and it was just a great exercise for them to put on the CEO shoes. Hmm. You know, they were able to really see this decision of how do we want to reward people or advance people from the business's perspective, from the CEO's perspective. And that was really helpful. So we're a sales organization. Most companies are. Most most companies aren't in business unless the sales team wins when it all comes down to it. Mm-hmm. And so, but the product team, most of us, there's a few who are really tied to sales results, which is fantastic. That's a, a level of maturity that nobody on my team is ready to adopt yet. But most of them have no experience of being on the sales team of where they might be a 100% commission compensation resource. And if the sale doesn't happen, they just, they don't get a paycheck that pay period. Mm. You know, they don't know what that's like. And so exercises like this, where we ask them to put on the executive or the CEO hat is super helpful for them to appreciate their position and their opportunity in this organization. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And then I know that you also went beyond just the product manager and the product owner role, right? And you you added two other roles into this sort of definition of roles and responsibilities and the skills. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So that was our project manager, PMO, and also our scrum master. So mm-hmm. they play key roles for us as well, uh, just like they do in most organizations. And to iron out the difference of where the project manager can direct a project 
that is strategic and important and crosses many different departments versus a an epic or a feature that is being led by the product team. So we've we've carved that up based on, and, and I think most organizations do it this way, where the project manager, he's concerned with who is doing what by when. Those are the three things that he cares about. He doesn't care about why we're doing something or the business value that it might bring. He is strictly focused on, okay, this person is committed to get this project done by this date. That's what he holds people accountable to. And that's similar with our Scrum Master. It's just a very simple process. You know, you said you were going to be working on this thing this sprint. What came up? What stopped you? Okay, understood. Let's account for that a little bit better in the future. And we have a great CIO who is holding the delivery team very accountable to those sprint commitments, which is very helpful. So our, our Scrum Master has the support of our CIO, which is really critical in that role. Well, I think it's also a great evolution to start including some of those other key roles in the process. And we're also like on paper, it can look like there's a lot of overlap, maybe even some underlap between those roles and really taking the time to extend that out. I just, I, I think must be extraordinarily helpful. Yeah. Which brings me to this next question, right? So clearly you spent a lot of time since you, you and your organization spent a lot of time since sort of product was started there making sure that these definitions and these career paths were in place. What kind of results have you seen? What has this done for you and for your organization? So it, we got really great results. My one-on-ones with my team are so much more effective now that we have a standard to talk about. They feel like my evaluation of their effort is far more objective than it used to be. They love knowing that they can march into my office and proudly hold their head high on eight out of these 10 things or whatever they are really proud of. And then they are far more receptive to the one or two artsy type of coaching things mm-hmm. that that can't be specifically delineated in, a, in an SOP. If I got feedback from somebody on an email or a meeting, how a meeting was handled or how an email was phrased, you know, some of those things you're not going to be able to catch everything. And so, that, but in those times when we need to give them some more coaching, they're far more receptive because they can hold their head high. And I can confirm that with them on a lot of other things. It's a really good point that we can be more direct on some of the negatives when we also have means of being direct on the positives that are equally firm to them. Sometimes they're really going to be like, you're doing a great job, which is wonderful to hear, but also feels, you know, more nebulous, right? And yeah, how do I exactly. measure myself against what, what Corbin thinks is a great job? Yeah. But here you've taken I mean, that when, out. when we start these off, we run down all those, all those metrics that we care about, all those KPIs. And I love focusing on this one. Look at that. You did four and we were only looking for three. That is awesome. Tell me about that. Why was that important for you to do that? So we have a great starting point to talk about a lot of wins, a lot of successes. Oh, this one, you only got a two out of three. What was what was your prioritization there? What happened? Why weren't you able to focus on that? Oh, well, because this, oh, that makes total sense. I get it. And so then that does allow the space for that constructive criticism where they need some coaching. They're in a much more receptive state. I would think, too, that it's also very helpful for new hires, right, and onboarding. Yeah. So that's where we've spent a ton of effort because in the mortgage industry, it's a very mature industry. We've got 3000 competitors. It's not, it's not, (laughs) it is the opposite of open ocean, blue water type of a market. It is very efficient. And so there are 
our product team is relatively small concerning considering the number of tech that we're trying to manage. And so we do not have the budget to go out and hire the best and brightest product folks out there in the market. I am often hiring people offshore and onshore who have little or no product experience and then training them up because that's that's what we have for a budget. And so having these standards in place is exceptionally helpful. It, they are able, right out of the gates, they are able to self-manage to a great degree on what is required of them. They don't need me or their product manager to be constantly hounding them on what they need to do. They have an excellent framework to begin with. And also, this is so helpful when I'm trying to hire people. So just like you said a little bit earlier, going to a place where the rudiments, the standards, the everything is set up so that you can just get in and start working hard, that is so helpful. And so I use that when I'm recruiting. I say, look, we have these standards. You come here, we will take you from, if you're already a, a C level, we're going to take you to an F level. You're going to be amazing. And we want you to be able to compete for any product job, in our, which in my neck of the woods is the Silicon Slopes here in Utah, where we have hundreds of tech mm. companies about 20 miles away from us. It's very similar to the Silicon Valley, but they call it Silicon Slopes because we're here on in the mountains. Anyway, yes. I'm competing for resources like that all over the place. And to give them the opportunity to level up and demonstrate their capabilities is a big opportunity. So I use it in training and I use it in, in recruiting as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So I think another truth about this project, much like it didn't come to you in a dream, is uh, is also that it it doesn't stay the same, right? The definitions have got to be fluid. And I know that you've got to have a process and time that you spend keeping the items fresh. Absolutely. So. I, I want to touch on, uh, with, to answer that question, I want to introduce another idea. So we, we started with documentation templates and agenda mm -hmm. templates and scripts and playbooks for any type, anything that my team is doing that is repetitive or they're going to be doing more than once. Back in my sales days, when I was on the sales team, I had a script. I developed a script for myself anytime I was going to have a similar conversation. And the reason for that is because you can craft it and make it more effective. And the same thing with product folks, we are often having similar conversations. A common one, how do you say no? How do you say not now, but probably later? How do you do that effectively? When, when one of your most demanding and influential customers comes to you and says, I need this feature now, what are some phrases? What are some key points or some ways that you can say it so that it is effective and you're not upsetting that really strategic partner? So having those things documented are, is very critical. And so the, the win out of that, you can hand them the playbook and they're ready to go. The downside or the risk of doing that, which we all need to moderate, is these inexperienced product folks, they feel like the template is the law. Mm. And they yeah. don't, they're not able to understand when is documentation helpful and provide value and when is it a waste of time. In the Agile Manifesto that created this whole thing whatever, 30 years ago, we value working software over comprehensive documentation. And so that's where we're coaching our team members is saying, okay, this is great. You filled out the whole template. What value did this section bring? Who needed that? Well, nobody really needed on that one. Okay, well, then let's not fill that out next time. That documentation dictatorship, you need to set aside. It needs to be what is providing value? Why are you doing this? But you can't have that conversation effectively if you don't start with a standard. And so starting those documentation standards, the meeting agendas, the having 
an outline of all the things that should be happening in these typical meetings that we all have, the refinement meetings, the scrum meetings, the meetings with your stakeholders on alignment and priority. Those should be lined out as a starting point so that your team can be more effective. I will tell you, the executives that we work with, they have noticed about a 30, in their words, a 30 or 40% increase in the amount of product management work that gets done because the team is starting with templates and standards Mm. and, and examples that they can used to make them more efficient. If everybody is reinventing the wheel every time they try yeah. to document a new epic feature, it just gets so much less effective to, to do that. Well, and, and not only, yeah, it's less effective on your team and it's harder on your partners who have to consume them and consume them in a different format and have different expectations and what should they be feeding in. Yeah. Uh, but that's a, that's a, that's a stat you should put on a t-shirt and wear around that. <laughs> that's, that's pretty right. impressive, Corbin. That's exactly. So the best example of that, that we have. So like I said before, we have these four business verticals. So the executives who are over the sales team, they're not really concerned with the, so much about what's going on in the loan servicing vertical. Okay. Those are very different teams. However, when something goes wrong in the loan servicing department and they're screwing up and we're not handling people's payments properly, our sales team executives are the ones whose phones are getting blown up by the, mm. by the loan officer saying, hey, I got a call from my borrower saying we screwed up their payment and it hurts our sales team. That, those, that's the front line of the people who take the brunt of that. And so having these epics and features documented in a similar way in a standard format allows the executives in the sales team to ingest and understand the priorities and what the servicing team is working on within and how we have it set up is we have a value statement and a problem statement. Those two statements are literally one sentence each. So in two sentences, some cases, three sentences, the executive will have a good 70 to 80% comprehension of what's going on with this Epic that allows them to then ingest 20 of those epics or features and keep it all in context because it's short and simple. It's very concise and it's written so that they can understand it, even if they're not intimately involved in that business vertical. So now we can get way more participation from executives who normally would be eyes rolled back in their head, glazed over. I don't care what's going on. I'm working on my division over here. They are participating. They get it. They, they can quickly to exactly what you said, they can quickly understand and and assimilate this information, which is a lot. Mm. When we're looking at three or four or five sprints worth of work, that's a full quarter. And to try to ingest that much information and then have a an effective conversation about priority or business value, it's really, really difficult if they all don't follow the same template and we're creating that documentation with that particular customer in mind, which is our executive team. No, and that makes, I mean, we are, I think, uh, one of our weaknesses as product people is we know too much about our products and our problems. And so we, you know, we, we, we throw up a lot of information at people and, and, and peace and, and working to iterate with your execs to know what matters to them. And then just to have a consistent format Yes. Is, is key for them consuming. And then to your point, how else can I actually compare projects and opportunities over against each other unless I have some similarities in the way that they are shared and some, some common right. data points and looks? Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. And then the last thing I'll say about that is the weaknesses of doing this is effort to set up 
all mm. of this stuff takes a huge amount of effort for each team because there's things that are common amongst product teams, but there's also many differences. For instance, for us, nobody on my product team is building things that are actually going to touch our borrowers. Mm-hmm. Well, I shouldn't say none. We have very little. We're, and that's unusual. Most product people are 100% focused on the customer-facing yep. product that they're building. That's not us. Our customer are our 2,500 employees. Mm-hmm. And so that's very different for us. But yep. uh, regardless, that's why every team does it a little bit differently. But I will say this, 30 years ago, I read the book, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Okay? It's a great book. In there, he talks, uh, he, he had one really key concept, many concepts, but this one is what we're talking about today, which is the time management matrix. Okay? There are important things and there are urgent things to do. Mm. If something is urgent and important, that's like a kitchen fire, that's a baby crying, that, you know, you, you can't, you got to get that done. But most of us go from that important and urgent stuff right down to the not important but urgent. Yep. Yep. And that's those interruptions and distractions and attending meetings we don't need to be at and all those things. And what we need to do is we need to sacrifice those not important and not urgent things or not important and some urgent things as much as we can so we can spend more time in the not urgent but important things. Setting up these standards, these product operations, definitions, and standard operating procedures, that will give more leverage and more lift to the product organization than anything else you could possibly do. That would be the best thing to do to empower your product teams to be effective, is setting Mm -hmm. up these standards. But it's not urgent. You could do it today. You could do it next year. We've got to set aside time to get that done. And that would be the best use of any product leader's time, even if you're just doing it for yourself, even if you're a product manager and you're going to say, you know what, I'm going to set up my own standards. That would be an excellent thing for you to do to make it easy on yourself. You know, it's a good point too. We would all like to be in an organization like yours where you have invested in time and fought to make sure there was time. But sometimes we don't have that. Sometimes it's not a, a big department, but you can build standards for yourself. And you can also, you know, you that it's okay to share your standards then with peers or with your boss as a as a way to get both feedback on sort of your tools and templates, but also to help them populate a wider spot. That's a great point. Yeah, exactly right. All right, I I bet you're not done though. Is there we haven't talked about this? What is your next thing? What what are you thinking, Corbin? Oh, this is the next thing I want to make sure I tackle in this area. So the next thing I want to tackle, we we've documented the skills and the responsibilities. And we talked about that before, about how some of that, how do you rank whether you're excellent at something or doing okay? That that's a little bit of a subjective thing to to figure out how skillful are you on this. My goal is to the next big thing I'm tackling is we have defined a way to still have that subjective conversation about how skillful are you on the important skills that we've identified and giving them a giving the team a way to track that and focus on two or three of those things at a time and say you know I'm already good at this and this and this I'm working on these two or three things and eventually I'm going to keep adding to what you and and how we phrase it is I can now hold them to the highest standard hmm. in those things it doesn't mean they're going to be flawless right. it just means any of those things that we're saying, I get to hold them to the highest standard. So if I see an email that they send out that is not absolutely fantastic, I'm going to say, oh, you know what? You might have said this a little bit better, or you might have taken a little bit more time and proofed this before you sent it out. 
Okay. Or hold the same thing with conducting a meeting, same thing with setting up some of the documentation on these requirements. And so that's our top level is you can hold me to the highest standard. Mm. And so that's what we're working on now is giving everybody a way to score themselves and volunteer themselves to be held to that highest standard. So, which is cool. That's awesome. All right, Corbin, we talked about lots of different things today. If you were going to get our listeners to do two things differently tomorrow based on what we talked about today, what would it be? Two things. If you haven't already, the, the starting point would be define the responsibilities for the different roles in your product team. That would be number one. That provided the biggest lift for us. Mm. And the second thing would be find the one thing that everybody on your team does over and over and over again and give them a standard or a template on how to uh, to start from the next time they do that thing. What a great uh, just, idea. Just, just pick one. You don't have to do yeah. all the templates at once. No, start no, with no. one. Definitely. Just start with one. And be willing to iterate on that after you define it. But start mm-hmm. with one. Pick one thing. And see if your team likes it. I, I bet they will. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, all right, Corbin, this was a fantastic conversation. I think here there is so much good stuff. As you said, as product leaders, this is one of the most important things we can do. And our role is to to make sure that there is time to get it to happen because it can have clearly, as you've seen at your organization, significant results in the output of the organization and the happiness of the employees. And I would think as as managers and leaders, right, you get to have better conversations with the team. So thank you so much for sharing your all your insights. Yeah, you bet. I've really enjoyed it, Rebecca. Thank you. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career.